What's up, all you chums and bums? You're listening to the How Should I Bro podcast, and if you haven't subscribed to this show already, then when you get done listening to this episode, I want you to go through our archives, listen to a few more, and after that, if you still don't want to subscribe, then you're probably some boring-ass motherfucker who I could care less if you listen to any more shows, because I probably wouldn't want to talk to you in person. This show is brought to you by Show Me Comics. They're the premier independent comic book company in the entire world. They bring to you their 64-page full-color graphic novel. It's called Hafu, and you can go and you can check out demonstrations of it right now by going to www.showmecomics.com. We're also brought to you by Extreme Krav Maga and Fitness. That is the facility where I host all of my own personal training. I do all of my boot camps. I have an MMA class there. They also host this awesome gym owned by Mick Kennedy. And most of all, they do this incredible self-defense course from an Israeli martial art called Krav Maga. They also host CCW classes, tactical defense, all kinds of awesome things. Check them out now on the web at xkm-stl.com. Now this week's episode is a little bit different. I was actually out of town. I wasn't able to make it into the studio. And so uh, we had to record the podcast on the road. In fact, the intro that I'm giving right now is being done on my phone as I'm sitting in my car outside of my driveway because I got to get this thing done. I got to get it wrapped up and I got to get it sent off to producer Tim so that he can get it all put together and be ready for you guys on Tuesday because that's what we do every week on Tuesday. We drop you guys a new episode. If you noticed last week, we actually uh, had a long discussion and it got split into two episodes. So there was one released on Tuesday and on Thursday. So I'm a little curious how much you guys like that format. If anybody listened and you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't mind seeing some longer shows like that in the future, drop me a message. Go to our Facebook page, which is on Facebook at slash How Should I Bro, or our Twitter, which is at How Should I Bro. And uh, drop us a message. Let us know if you liked it. Maybe we'll do some longer ones in the future so that you get two downloads a week. If you didn't and you thought we were rambling on and getting a little bit boring, let me know that too so that we can switch up the format a little bit. But as I was saying, this week I was on the road. I took a road trip down to Chicago. And the reason that I was down there was because my all-time favorite band was headlining little festival called Lollapalooza. Of course, that band was Metallica, and I went down there to see them on Saturday night, and man, it was one hell of an experience. I don't give a fuck if the guys in Metallica are in their 50s. Those dudes can still bring a show. In fact, I've been going to see this band live for probably the last 15 or 20 years And I would say it was easily, if not the best that I've ever heard them, it's it's, it's among the top two that I've seen. So despite the fact that James Hetfield is like 51 years old, dude, he fucking brought it. And Lars killed it on the drums, man. It's some of the best drumming I've heard from Lars ever. And uh, 
There was like 100,000 people there. Now imagine 100,000 people. It's a ton. Well, somehow we still managed to push our way up to about 20 people behind the front stage. So it was pretty badass because we were right there underneath all the speakers, immersed in all of that noise, and they sounded fucking great. Now, the other thing was I got to go see Chicago. I haven't been down there for quite some time. And uh, really, the last couple times I went down there, it was for some... uh, it was for some business-related activity, so I never really got a chance to get out and check the town out. So I was down there, and it was a little bit of a kind of a mini birthday thing for me because my birthday is on August 4th, which as of this recording, it is two days away. So anyway, while I was down there, I got to check out some of the, uh, some of the entertainment, and I got to eat at some of the restaurants. And I got to tell you, even though I'm from St. Louis... And I'm supposed to pretend like I hate the city of Chicago. And I'm not saying that I don't. It was awesome. Man, that that city, for it being the third largest city in the country, it was clean. I didn't expect it to be that clean. And the, the people that were there are in great shape. Now, it could be that they were from other towns and they were there for Lollapalooza. Maybe that tend to, uh, to, to, to kind of alter you know, my, my perception of the city, but man, I got to admit, dude, the women that were down there were fucking beautiful and the guys were all in good shape. Considering Chicago is such a big town and these fucking people probably walk everywhere they go. I'm sure that plays a part, but yeah, man, there weren't really any fat or obese people walking around and the, uh, the restaurants, it was very cultured, you know, they were, they were selling a lot of food that was made, you know, fresh that day without any preservatives or a lot of processed shit. And uh, so, yeah, I'll admit I ate a little bad while I was down there. But for the most part, the restaurants that we went to were were pretty awesome. They were pretty healthy. And we did so much walking and burned a lot of calories through that. So it was an awesome experience. I will admit that as a Cardinal fan, I had to... Uh, I had to show my colors, so if you go to my Facebook page or my Instagram, you may have caught a picture of me giving the old one-finger salute to a friggin' Chicago Cubs statue, but uh, in all reality, it was actually a really good experience, which is great because next weekend I'm going down there again, but it is for pro-wrestling-related activities. So this week, because we were on the road, I didn't get to go into the studio. So everything's being recorded on my cell phone. Yes, on the cell phone. So if if anything sounds a little weirder off, that is why, especially when I get to the interview part, because we were actually on the road traveling. So some of the background noise and stuff that's on there, I got to apologize for. However, I'm not too worried because I had an awesome guest. This week, we brought on Dr. Dave. Dave is somebody that... Um, he's actually related to me as a through a family friend and, well, my significant other. But we try not to talk about her on the show because I don't want any of you harassing her. <laughs> but um, Dr. Dave actually went down to Lollapalooza with us, so we got to talk to him a little bit about that. But most of all, I got to bring him on just to, to take some of the you know health and fitness and everyday life perspective that we talk about on How Should I Bro and get it from a, a doctor's perspective. So it's pretty cool to get to pick his brain on some of the more sports and fitness related things, but also as it came to uh, to just everyday life and get to talk to him about, 
you know, why he became a physician and some of the changing of the guard that's going on in that industry right now. And uh, it was really cool. And uh, it was overall, it was an awesome experience. So I'm not going to keep going on this intro anymore. I'm going to go ahead and uh, we're going to jump right into that interview. So without any further ado, here is Dr. Dave. All right, so I'm sitting here with my guest for today. And Dr. Dave, first thing I want to talk about is Lollapalooza. Because you went down here with us to Chicago to see Metallica. And I know a lot of my listeners are going to think, wait a second, a doctor listening to Metallica? That just doesn't seem to go together. So what did you think about the show? Oh, man, it was awesome. I've never actually seen Metallica live, and I've always wanted to see them. Both times I had an opportunity to see them, I was actually working, and I was really upset the last time I missed them, which was about five years ago in St. Louis. It's one of my favorite bands. Well, I thought it was interesting because we were talking about what got you into Metallica, and you uh, you told me a couple stories about how whenever you were in school, some of those songs are what either got you through class or helped you cope with some of the test or test scores. Yeah, I... Uh... <laughs> I would like go in my car and put on Hero of the Day and think I'm going to be this amazing, awesome doctor saving lives. So I'd rock out to Hero of the Day. And then, like, if I got a really bad test score, I would play Fade to Black and act like it's the end for me and I'm done. And it wasn't just school, actually, it was also my life, like, struggling with like my relationships at the time and that. And that's kind of how I use music in general today. Like, music speaks to your soul. And it really helps you get all that emotion out. So Metallica was great because they had slow songs and then heavy metal songs. All right, so what was the song going through your head whenever you finally did, like, ace your test or when you finally graduated med school? Because there had to be, like, some badass fucking song going through your head at that time. Oh, one of my absolute favorite songs was No Leaf Clover because he kept singing it, and I played it all the time when going to school. He'd play, like, and then it comes to be the soothing light at the end of the tunnel. It's just a freight train coming your way. And that really resonated with me because every little test that you beat, every little exam you take and moving on in life, I mean, it's just the beginning, the tip of the iceberg, and the rest is just going to hit you like a freight train. So I really rocked out to that a lot. I'm like, okay, let's go to the next train station. So <laughs> That's awesome because I'm sure we've got some listeners that were at Lollapalooza that were checking out Metallica. But for those of you that couldn't, it was like the fifth or sixth show that I've been to to see these guys. And, uh, like, the band is all in their 50s now. And that's that's a thing out there for uh, for people that aren't really into that music. They think that Metallica is a bunch of fucking old guys. They've been around for 34 years. And I've seen them live, like I said, five or six times for the last 20 years or so. And I swear, that was the best that I've ever heard that band. Like, Lars's fucking drumming was insane it was loud as hell and the cool part was like we got to this place it was in uh what was it grant park yeah grant park it was in grant park in chicago there was like a hundred thousand fucking people there and we got there about an hour and a half early just to get as close to the stage as we could so by the time the show actually started we were about 20 rows of people back it was hot as fuck because we were in front of the stage and then you've got a hundred thousand bodies shoved into this place and it was probably like a hundred million degrees scorching outside so it was hot as shit but I just thought that added to the atmosphere especially when they came out and all the lights hit on and they're hitting this hot fucking music like it was just awesome yeah it really was I, they sounded amazing live like I 
I really was just so excited. Like, I really tell myself, okay, I'm only going to tape one minute of one song. And every, like, five minutes, I pull out my phone and tape for ten minutes because they were just on key every time. All right. Now, I, I looked over and quite a few times I saw that you were headbanging. Oh. Is that, uh, is that the first time you've ever been in a large gathering of people that were all friggin' rocking out and headbanging at the same time? Uh, no. I would say, so, like, right in front of us, there was a mosh pit. I would say that's the most violent mosh pit I've ever seen, but I've been to a lot of concerts where, you know, mosh pits start and everybody's rocking out, but not so something like heavy metal. Like, I think I went to 311 a lot, and believe it or not, there was a mosh pit in there that people were getting crazy to. 311 songs, I don't know why, but I haven't been to, like, Breaking Benjamin, which I've always wanted to see, or... Uh, try to think of other songs so yeah that was but, probably the most hardcore well that's funny because with the head banging like today and i mean I, I got no hair i'm bald as hell so it's not like i have a big purpose for throwing my hair up and down but you still head bang if you're listening to heavy metal music and i don't know if it's my age or just how long that i was doing it last night but my neck my neck is killing me today so let me ask you something as a doctor could there be any like long-term uh, effects from headbanging or throwing your head up and down? Could you like actually fuck your brain up by doing that? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know if there's any clinical trials. I mean, you have to be headbanging on like just constantly for hours on end to actually cause any issues. I think it's just like muscle strain. Do you think that could be why I lost my hair at an early age? <laughs> Perhaps I don't know. I don't think it's been studied, but uh, we'll enter you in the first trial and see. All right, now I got a, I got a lot of people that listen to this show that are into like sports and fighting and wrestling because a lot of them follow uh, me and, and some of my guests from the wrestling world. So I want to get your advice on this. But uh, a few weeks ago, I had a wrestling match. I was out in Florida, and uh, I wound up getting knocked out, and I had a, I suffered a concussion. I was unconscious. Well, I wasn't unconscious. I was awake, but I don't remember any of it. There's like 30 minutes from this match I absolutely cannot recall. The last thing I remember is actually getting hit and then about 30 minutes later standing backstage feeling like I woke up from a dream. And, uh, I mean, I finished the match. I went through it and everything, but I can't recall any of it. So I'm, I'm just curious. You know, how do concussions actually affect the brain? And what are the, some of the things that I should probably be careful for or that maybe I should look out for as I continue to wrestle? Or, like, is there anything I should watch out for that might make me want to, like, slow down or stop doing this shit? Like, what actually happened to my brain? Well, just the sheer force of your brain moving around in your head isn't good. What a concussion technically is is when you have... Am I going to wind up, like, retarded from this shit? Or am I <laughs> retarded already? Well, I think you've maybe hit your head a lot, and we're not going to go into that right now. It's very possible that you might have hit your head a little too much, but uh, yeah, I mean, concussions themselves, all that means is you have all these symptoms of problems with memory, hearing, headaches, and all of that, but there's no physical evidence of it on like a CAT scan, so that's why we call it a concussion. Long-term effects, I mean, you've heard of traumatic brain injuries, TBIs. People can get TBIs if they have multiple concussions. Oh, yeah. Look at boxers. There's a thing called uh, contra coup where when you get punched or something in the head, your brain literally bounces back into your skull, and then it can actually contra coup and bounce forward. And you could truly do a lot of damage. You could bruise your brain and terrible Which is areas. crazy because that's what I'm purposely trying to do to my opponent. I'm trying to make that happen to them because I want to win the match. And that's what you do as fighters is you try to cause that pain and that bleeding to their brain. So that's a warning to all you out there that might face me in the future. And then you can have them come see me. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Or maybe Dave will get into wrestling. You know, he was actually talking in the car on the way down here about how he had this wrestling persona that he wanted to create called Dr. Dave. And he'd come out to the ring in like a fucking white doctor's coat and a stethoscope. And that would be like his whole finishing hole was like a choke where he cut off the blood to their... He's looking at me like, you're full of shit. He didn't say any of well, this stuff. I was stuff. thinking, actually, I'd probably use like a blood pressure cuff and like put it around <laughs> your neck and then just squeeze until it goes. <laughs> I bet you could do, like, a great promo, you know, like, you yell into the microphone at the person, only you get to, like, actually, I don't know, tell them that you're going to cause some crazy medical condition with them, and that's why they shouldn't fuck with you. Right, I'll make up some bullshit medical thing. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so, as a personal trainer, I deal with a lot of people that are pretty skeptical of the medical field, which is ironic because a lot of them are nurses or they're people that work in the field themselves. In fact, I actually have one doctor that I train and it's awesome because she's still, you know, she's still pretty young for, uh, you know, for being a physician. I think she just turned like 40 or 40, 41. And we talk a lot about how there's quite a generation change that's going on right now in the the medical field, especially with doctors where you've got, you know, you're kind of maybe 60, 70 ish, 80 year olds that come from kind of the old school of practice and now you've got the new ones coming in that are in their you know late 20s 30s 40s and you've got a bit of a different approach to how you handle everything from patient care to treatment to medicine diet nutrition exercise a lot of things that maybe the older generations didn't focus on so that's something i think would be interesting is to find out you know how you feel that as a as a young new physician you approach things different from the old world um, well, I guess, I mean, it also depends on your training, but I think most training programs right now, and I'm still in training, they really focus on the patient. It's very patient-centered. Medicine used to be very paternalistic, where the physician would make all the decisions, and you basically do what they say, or and that's it. Whereas now, a lot of physicians should be including you as part of the decision plan, and they really should be transparent, not only with what's going on, but also with your options and costs. Costs are a big issue as well. So, well, yeah, because that's a that's I don't know. I guess I call this a stigma for a lot of people, is they think, oh, I'm going to hold off and go in to see the doctor over this issue I'm having because I'm just going to get stuck with a bunch of bills because they're going to prescribe everything they can. I'm going to have to get these expensive tests done. I'm going to have to get this done, and they're just doing it to line their pockets. You know, how would you counter that? Or how would you say, look, that's that's bullshit. That's not what I'm actually in this for. That's not what I'm trying to do to my patient. Well, I will, I will preface it with this. You should always trust your physician. So if there's just something not right or they don't seem like they have your best interest in mind, then you should move on. But for the most part, I literally tell my patients, look, these are your essential medications. These two medications are just for your anxiety or your pain. And they're not every day. If you don't want to fill these prescriptions, fine. Don't worry about it. These are your essential ones. I also don't order unnecessary testing when, like, you come in and you tell me a clinical diagnosis, like, textbook. Why would I order a CT scan of your head or your abdomen when I know exactly what's going on? I had this patient that came in with acid reflux. It was obvious what was going on. She had no idea what was happening. I told her to take her, you know, omeprazole. Every morning, I saw her in two weeks, and everything was fine. And I had another friend who, like, ordered a tremendous amount of testing for something that you can literally just treat with the medication first that's very low risk and avoid all the unnecessary costs. All right, here's another one, because I don't want to get... I don't want to sound like I'm throwing out accusations about anybody else or trying to throw your fellow doctors under the bus, 
But let me ask you this. If I came to you and all I was looking for was fucking pain meds and I said, oh, Dr. Dave, I've got a little tummy ache. Are you just going to write me a prescription for Van- or Xanax or anything that I want? Hell no. I am a Nazi when it comes to anxiety. I heard that's all you have to do now. I heard you just have to go to a doctor and say you've got this little ailment. And next thing you know, you're getting a prescription for whatever you want. This is the problem with that. I mean, those people probably do exist and you could say the right thing. But anytime I write for a controlled substance like a narcotic or anxiety medication, if I know it can be addicting or it could be used incorrectly, I tell them, look, this is short term. You will not come back to me for a refill. If you need more treatment, then we need to get you to a specialist. Uh, doctors have a responsibility to make sure their patients don't get addicted to their meds. And that's a very big problem this day and age. And, um, and honestly, a lot of us physicians are being blamed for people that are on all these chronic pain medications. So they're really trying to get us to downplay, you know, not downplay it, but really try to look for alternative ways of treating pain, not just throwing a narcotic at their way and telling them there's the door. Yeah, well, it sucks that that exists, but it's good to hear that, you know, doctors actually are looking out for the patients, even if sometimes that's restricting you know, what it is that the patient thinks that they need. Uh, all right. So the name of this podcast is how should I bro? Would you consider yourself a bro? A bro? I mean, you go to the gym, you, uh, you're very, um, you, you're very, uh, fashionable. You watch out, you very hygienic. Uh, you go to the gym, you work out, you, uh, you take care of yourself, right? Yeah. Is that a bro definition? (laughs) Fine. It depends on your attitude. But, uh, so here's the thing. As a doctor, okay, as far as like the the health and fitness field goes and supplements, that's another thing that I have to deal with a lot as a trainer. There's a lot of people come up to me and they'll ask, oh, is this safe? Uh, Will this pre-workout actually do anything for me? How do these fat burners work? Do I really need protein? You know, and a, a lot of times I'm going to kind of err on the side of my own experience because there is, there's a lot of bullshit out there. There's a lot of things people don't need, but I know to some extent there are supplements that are valuable, but really my, my area of expertise as a personal trainer is nowhere near what yours is going to be on understanding how these things affect the human body and just what out there is bullshit and what isn't. So not that, uh, I'm not expecting to tell our listeners, like, look, don't take this, don't take that. So what I'm more curious in is you as a uh, as a gym-going bro, you know, what are some of the criteria you look for if you are going to take a supplement or, uh, you know, something for protein, creatine, whatever? What are some of the things you feel it has to either pass your test or what you're going to look for to figure out some of the, the bullshit from the things that are legitimate? Well, you absolutely need to know the ingredients you're getting and research those ingredients. Don't just be like, oh, this company on their website says that this ingredient shows X and Y benefits. You need to research that yourself. Most things that are really popular or just about any product out there, you can find reviews and always go to like the worst reviews and see what they're saying in terms of whether or not it's efficacious, if it works. That's what I do. And then you just kind of go with what you know works. Everybody knows uh, creatine is a must-do for building muscle. It's completely safe. It doesn't cause a lot of problems. That's good. Protein, obviously, I think the rule's what? One gram or no, one They usually say, yeah, one gram, gram per pound of body weight. Yeah, I find that that's... I yeah, that. I always think that's a little excess. I think that's their way of trying to get you to run out quicker so that you have to buy more. Because a lot of that... I mean, you know you can only absorb so much protein at one time. So whenever... 
whenever you go to the supplement store or uh, I'm not going to say GNC, but I just did, or whenever you read a lot of the bodybuilding magazines, they'll say, oh, man, you need one gram per pound of body weight or one and a half. Well, they're referring to the 300-pound Mr. Olympia that also injects a shit ton of anabolic steroids, which completely just... Uh, it mutates his, his metabolism. So this guy is going to be able to absorb a shit ton more protein than what the average person would. So the advice that they're getting definitely does not apply to the average person. So, you know, that made me think too. I mean, you're, you're not taking steroids, are you? Not yet. We'll see. No, of course not. I would never, <laughs> never Dave is like that. 500 pounds of solid muscle. <laughs> right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I look just like the Hulk. Well, I'm, and I don't know how far this goes into your expertise, but how exactly would like like steroids alter the the chemistry or the body makeup of say like an athlete or a bodybuilder what exactly is the method there for for why they would take steroids well steroids will increase your ability to produce growth hormone and of course they promote uh an anabolic state however once you pull those steroids away your body is left in a you can think of it as a starvation state of cortisol and whatnot there's a lot of horrible side effects that we can go into about it Uh, a lot of people know the thing about having your testicles shrink and whatnot. Nobody wants that. Um, mood changes, testosterone causes, or any kind of hormone causes ridiculous mood changes. I haven't really seen a lot of patients taking them, but one of the interesting things is marketing testosterone as a hormone in general, as a supplement, is becoming less and less safe because it increases your risk for clots. So it increases your risk for stroke and heart attack. So, Is there any legitimacy to some of those claims, though? Because I, I get asked that a lot by, by a lot of the wrestlers that I train. Or they'll say, oh, dude, you know, I'm should I take this Tribulus? I heard Tribulus is going to increase my, they have this word, free testosterone, yeah. you know, by 500%, or that it's going to have the same effect as an anabolic. And I'm going, well, you can't have both. There's a reason why one's legal and why one's illegal. So... Like, is there any... What does that mean? Like, what the hell would free testosterone be compared to just injecting yourself with something? Um, I mean, free testosterone is just measuring what's floating around in your body freely, and then testosterone that's not free is clearly what's bound up in all the cells. Right. So it doesn't necessarily mean you'll use it just because it's free. Right, exactly. It might be some fancy words, but, you know, some people... As a responsible physician, the only thing I can say about any kind of hormone is you need to absolutely get your level checked and see if you're deficient. Most men are not deficient when they're in their 20s or 30s. If you're taking a hormone that your body doesn't necessarily need, then you're in a world of hurt. You can increase your natural ability to produce more testosterone by lifting more weights. I don't know if you've noticed, but you feel stronger, more virulent, and whatnot, because the more you lift weights and work out, the more your body ramps up its natural production of hormone. So do it the natural way. Uh, that's good because that that led me to something we talked about a few shows ago about you know aging because I'm uh, in a few days I'll be turning 34 and that's 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 something that gets tossed around a lot I think for marketing purposes from supplement companies but the age in which you actually do start to develop like a dip in testosterone levels and when your hormones start to shut off so that's something I'm curious about is like what is the general age for when you not just not just like a testosterone dip, to, but where it's something significant enough that you'd feel like you would actually need some type of, um, replacement. yeah, some type of replacement or something to get your levels back up. Like, what is the age that I should look at to where it's like, okay, buddy, you're definitely not going to be able to do the things you used to do. Well, I'm not an endocrinologist, but usually they call it, I think, menopause. 
usually yeah. men start dipping down into levels where you could replace it in their 50s and higher. Maybe sometimes their 40s. But if you, your listeners, I'm sure, all go to the gym and work out regularly, I mean, that in of itself is going to sustain your testosterone naturally, so you shouldn't need to take any extra supplements. Oh, good. That's encouraging, because I like to think that I've been old for, like, the last 10 years, but now I don't feel so bad. Because that is, that shit, oh, I get paranoid about that. I'm like, am I there? Like, if I feel tired for too many days in a row, I start going, oh, fuck, is it because I hit that wall? Is it because my testosterone and everything is plummeting because I'm old now? So... That's actually good to hear. I've also had this theory lately. I've I've done a lot of uh, a lot of reading and just just watching athletes. You know, like 20, 30, 40 years ago, an athlete was considered shot by the time they were like twenty three or twenty four years old. Especially with fighting, you know, and that's the sport that I always grew up around. Where it was like, dude, if a fighter hit thirty, that was it. They were considered over the hill. They were done. They might as well retire. And these days, you have, you know. You have boxers that are, like, in their 50s. Like, Evander Holyfield is still fighting. The dude's, like, 54 years old. Bernard Hopkins was 55 and just fought for a world title. In MMA, you've got Randy Couture, who's, like, 48, 49 and still beating guys that are half his age. In baseball, you've got major league pitchers going into their mid-40s still out there striking guys out. So it seems like athletes these days are just holding on to their prime a lot longer and they're starting to peak a little bit later like in in mixed martial arts like they're starting to consider your peak you don't even hit your peak now until you're like 32 33 and then in the sport that i'm mainly in the professional wrestling like they say you're not even in your money making years until you're in like you know 35 36 years old so i don't know how much you've researched this but do you think maybe through through diet supplementation and even if you have to medical intervention that that humans these days are aging at a slower rate and they're peaking maybe a little later on and holding on to their prime longer uh well i i wouldn't say that they're holding on to their prime longer as much as longevity and age in general is just going to get higher and higher because of modern medicine i think the reason why you're seeing so many athletes that are so you know well trained in their 40s and 50s is because they train their bodies like that hard every day multiple days Seriously, if you can keep yourself as a powerhouse throughout your 30s and 40s and 50s, I mean, it's kind of true what they say, age is just a number. I mean, if you're out there doing all those fitness things and your body can take it and you're not deconditioned, then, you know, I mean, see what limits you have. But I think a lot of people don't experience that because children, work, wife, everything like that gets in the way and then you become deconditioned and then you kind of, that's when aging starts, when deconditioning happens. Yeah, that was that was quite an eye-opening thing. Whenever I used to work in the medical field, was you would see like patients that were maybe sixty years old come in and already start to be developing dementia and Alzheimer's, and they were bedridden. And you're like, sixty's not that fucking old. And then you could have like a ninety-year-old, you know, ninety-eight-year-old woman come in who's active. She's spry. She's still witty. She gets up on her own. She moves around, and it seemed like. One of the big common factors there were how active they were, especially at that point in their life. You know, you would have the 60-year-olds that had just retired. They just laid around the house. They didn't do much. Maybe they worked a desk job when they were still working. And then you'd have the 98-year-old that worked a very hard, you know, uh, job in labor. Maybe they, they did something in construction or whatever. And then even once they retired, they still went on the garden and they walked and they did things to keep their mind active. So it seemed like that was one of the common denominators. 
between the two were how active were you? You know, how, how much did you challenge yourself mentally? And that's, uh, that's something that should be very encouraging to all of the listeners out there. If you're in your fucking 20s or your 30s and you're already starting to shut it down, get out and be active. Go to the fucking gym, do something, don't be a lazy-ass couch potato, and eat pizza and get to be 500 pounds. Because if you do, then by the time you're 60, there's a good chance you're going to be drooling all over your fucking self, shitting your pants, and somebody else is going to have to clean it up. Alright, Dr. Dave. Back to the wrestling thing. If you could be a professional wrestler, <laughs> I'm curious, what would your outfit look like and uh, what would be your finishing move? What would you use on somebody to really put them out? You didn't get very much time to prepare for that one. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Like, do I have to take the persona of a doctor or could it be anything? It don't matter. Whatever. Whatever. Oh. First off, what would your entrance music be? Because I... I'm a lifelong Metallica fan too. I have been a professional wrestler now for, well, professionally for 15 years. And for almost the entire time, I have used Master of Puppets by Metallica because it's my favorite band. And it's at this point, I couldn't imagine ever walking out to a different song. But it's just, as soon as I hear that first chord hit, like, that's it, man. The brain switches and I turn into that Adam Raw character. So, you know, if you're getting ready to come out to a match and you need something to fire you up, what's that entrance music going to be? Oh, I already said it. It's No Leaf Clover. I would have it right when it says, then it comes to be the soothing light at the end of your tunnel. You think you might be winning the match, but then a freight train comes your way and bam, I come back in. So <laughs> that'd be my entrance if it was a Metallica song for sure. All right. Now, you're a pretty stylish guy when it comes to the outfit. Now, here's the thing. In wrestling... We don't have many boundaries. It's not like fighting and shit where you're told, okay, all you can wear is shorts and that's it. Like in wrestling, we got everything from little tiny biker shorts to guys that wear full-on masks, the whole thing. So I'm curious, like, would you wear a mask? Would you have on, like, a full leotard? Or would you just go with the least amount as possible? Well, I would like to think that my body would look good enough that I would go with the least amount as possible. <laughs> and I'll just slather Terbenefin all over my body to prevent all the ringworm. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, so I just have to keep working out every single day, naturally, of course. All right, and then and then move wise, you got to have some type of finishing move if you're going to be a wrestler. You got to have that thing that that when you hit that move, or you put them in that submission hold, or you slam them with it, it just it puts them out. There's no coming back through it. Like some wrestlers use like a pile driver where they pick the guy upside down and drop him on their neck, and then that's it. They're paralyzed for. You know, a few minutes, and so they can't kick out of the three count. Some guys use submission holds where they cut off the the blood and the oxygen to the brain, and so they pass out, and that's it. They win the match. So, what do you think you would specialize in? Would you be more of a submission guy, or would you be like the powerhouse that comes in and has to slam the guy around and tie him into pretzels? I would definitely have to finish him off completely. Uh, I don't know exactly what it would be, but it would have to be some kind of aerial move. I have to attack from above and just come down like a hawk so, be done. So you'd be a high flyer. Yeah. You'd be like, uh, you, do you have any like acrobatic skills? No, I'd have to develop those with my body <laughs> whenever I do this. Perfect. So I'm pretty sure there's got to be like a hospital or a practice out there they would let you do this where no leaf clover hits when your patient gets there when you're getting ready to walk into the room like how badass would that be like they're sitting in there on the table and they don't know what to expect and then boom no leaf clover hits and you walk in wearing your wrestling outfit and then whenever they don't agree to your treatment then that's it you jump off the top of the ceiling and hit them with some aerial move 
Yeah, that'd be awesome. I better have some pretty damn good lawyers, though. <laughs> and some great insurance. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's gonna. Uh, that's just gonna wrap it up for today. Thanks for coming on and being my guest. A lot of people out there probably learned some shit that they didn't know, and hopefully, it opened their eyes a little bit to just what a uh, what a physician goes through, what they're like. They're not all, you know, 90-year-old guys that uh, don't go to the gym and prescribe nothing but uh, narcotics and pain medicine. So, I don't know, you got anything you want to end with? Uh, no, thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun talking. Um, yeah, that's, that's about it. Thanks. All right, awesome. One of these days we're going to bring you into the studio and we'll do a full thing. But that's it. Yeah, submit your questions. And that was, uh, that was Dr. Dave, so... After that, we went on and we talked a little bit more just about his field and some things going on. But Dave just, you know, he started to get a little bit, he started to get a little bit weary of some of the things he might talk about. And he was worried how that might impact his job. And I completely understand that and respect it. So, you know, we kept some of the some of the other stuff that we discussed off the record. However, Dave seemed pretty excited about doing the interview and he actually came up with some other ideas And uh, he told me to ask all of our listeners if they have either medical-related questions or things that they would like for him to address the next time he comes on the show. Shoot us those questions. Tweet them to us. Email them to us. Message them to me. I don't care how you do it. Just get them in. And uh, next time I have Dave on the show, I'll ask him some of those questions. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. You can contact me. A lot of ways. You can find me on Facebook. Look up under my name, Sam Richardson. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore the underscore trainer. I'm on Instagram. You can follow me on there. My Twitter handle is at Adam Raw STL, which if you've been listening to the show for a while, you'll know that Adam Raw is my wrestling persona. You can also find me and our show on Periscope. My Periscope is also at Adam Raw STL, and you can also start checking it out on at Onyx Edge Studios. And you guys know what that producer Tim has been working on getting that set up so that we can get the audio a little better and make uh, your viewing experience a little uh, more pleasurable. And uh, that's going to wrap it up for today's show. Make sure that if you guys are listening to us on iTunes and you subscribe, leave us a review. The better you give us, the more visible we are to other people. So if you give us a five-star rating, God damn, we will love you. And if you leave a review to go along with it, we will love you long time. You can also check us out on the web at www.howshouldibro.com. And if you want to see any more of us, then you'd have to drive out here to St. Louis and just be on the goddamn show. That's going to wrap it up for today. I'm Sam Richardson. This is the How Should I Bro podcast. And see you guys later. Later.